0: Hello, I'm Gareth Carpenter, Pharma Editor at Informer Markets, and welcome to the monthly CPHI podcast, where we discuss the burning issues affecting pharmaceutical development and distribution. Today, we're going to be discussing the results of the recent hard-fought US presidential election and what it could mean for the pharmaceutical industry going forwards. The importance of the US to the global pharma industry cannot be overstated. Home to many of the sector's best-performing companies, the country's relatively lighter drug pricing controls and government support for R&D make it an extremely lucrative market to operate in. And after an enthralling US election, Democratic nominee and former Vice President Joe Biden is now US President-elect. While there's little doubt that his overall vision will differ immensely from that of outgoing President Donald Trump, it's less clear whether the new administration will mean big changes for healthcare and pharmaceuticals. I'm very happy to say that I'm joined here by Peter Lodge, Associate Professor of Media and Public Affairs at George Washington University. Peter has over 20 years of experience in communications, including a presidential appointment as a senior advisor to the Commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration in the Obama Administration. In this role, he developed and helped lead the strategic communication efforts for some of the top White House and FDA health priorities, including the Cancer Moonshot, the Precision Medicine Initiative, and combating the opioid crisis. Peter, first of all, welcome and thanks for joining us today.
1: Uh, Thanks so much for inviting me to join you. I look forward to the conversation.
0: Fantastic. Just to kick off, Peter, after a hard-fought, often bitter US election, which was followed very closely around the world, Joe Biden is now president-elect. As we know, healthcare, or more acutely, the issue of rising healthcare costs, is always a major battleground when it comes to U.S. presidential elections. So when president-elect Biden finally comes into office in January, what do you think the immediate impact on the farmer industry is going to be?
1: You know, that's a good question. And you're right that healthcare costs and healthcare quality in the United States are a perennial challenge. Um, our system is very different than any other in, in the world for some accidents of history, what you're going to see from the pharmaceutical industry and what pharma can expect, they're already seeing. The pharmaceutical industry, like most industries, are already responding to a Biden presidency. Everybody predicted a Biden win. The U.S. stock markets did well in the days before the election, in large part because they thought Biden would win. And you see pharma now responding to that. They're not going to wait until January to adjust how they behave or to figure out what to do next. President-elect Biden is a known commodity in Washington. He was a U.S. senator for a long time. He was vice president for eight years. He was a critical part of the Affordable Care Act, which is landmark health care legislation in the U.S. He led the effort on the cancer moonshot, which was an accelerated scientific effort to tackle the many cancers. They know where they're getting, and I think they're already responding to it.
0: And for every incoming president, Peter, there's an outgoing one. On the surface, it seemed that President Trump had close ties with the pharma industry. He made former Lilly President of U.S. Managed Healthcare Services, Alex Azar, the um, U.S. Secretary of Health and Human Services, but he's also had a number of quite high profile spats with the industry since then, particularly over this issue of drug pricing. Weighing it all up, do you think the pharmaceutical industry will miss President Trump?
1: Well, if money is an indication of how people feel, no, they will not. If you look at campaign contributions, for example, executives tied to the pharmaceutical industry gave the Biden campaign more than $2.5 million, and they gave the Trump campaign just over half a million. So, um, if money's an indication, $2.5 million says they wanted Biden and they were happy to have a President Biden, to only roughly a half a million dollars that said they really wanted a President Trump.
0: Is there an argument that they were hedging their bets, though, that they saw the polls swinging towards Biden? And obviously, the issue of drug pricing is a major one.
1: Maybe smart political money follows power. You always want to bet on a horse that's about to win. Nobody ever gets mad at you for doing that. But I think if you look at what the industry wanted and what any industry wants, I think President Biden would be much better for them than President Trump for a lot of reasons. One is, as you note, President Biden is unlikely to get into public spats with his senior officials. He's very much an institutionalist. He knows how Washington works and is happy to work within Washington. He's also predictable. One of the things about Biden is that we know what we're getting. He's been here for a while. We know what he's going to do next. We know how he's going to respond. All any industry wants is to know what the rules are so they know how to follow the rules. President Trump constantly shuffled the rules. He would issue statements and releases and then back off of them and say bold things, but not do legislation. Look, I'm a huge soccer fan. And you can say what you want about VAR, but at least I know what the offside rule is and that it will be followed. If it's just, you know, a bomb yang's elbow that disallows the goal, that's fine. One of the challenges in soccer is the handball rule. None of us knows what it means, right? And until we know what it means, if I'm a defender, I don't know how to defend. That's kind of the position I think that a lot of industries were in, including the pharmaceutical industry. Tell me what the rules are, tell me you're going to follow the rules, and I will also follow the rules. If you make me guess what the rules are, I'm not happy. I think that's what's going on here. And that's why pharma, I think, prefers a, a President Biden.
0: Peter, the COVID-19 pandemic, it obviously remains a key concern going forward. We're likely to see a vastly different approach to it from the new administration. How will this change in outlook, you think, affect the pharma industry?
1: You know, that's a good question. I think, again, it's good news for pharma because there's a level of predictability. There's a trust in science, there's a trust in experts. There's a recognition that experts come from all corners. If you're a biomedical researcher, Or if you're interested in supply chains in the pharmaceutical industry, you can work in government, you can work in universities, or you can work in industry. There's not a lot of other places to go. And good, smart people often move around the three. And President-elect Biden is going to draw from the best in all of those fields for a predictable, deliberate response to the pandemic that's driven by science. And you can see that from his COVID task force almost immediately after the election. President-elect Biden named a handful of, of global leaders in science and pandemics and epidemiology to lead his effort. Here's what we're doing. People like Atul Gawande, Gounder, Zeke Emanuel, a whole host of people. More importantly, I think what we're going to see, though, is also preparation for the next pandemic. Something bad's going to happen next, right? There's going to be some outbreak of something somewhere. And what you're going to see from a Biden administration is a setup and a preparedness for that. President Obama had a task force on it. It was consolidated under President Trump, under biothreats and bioterrorism. I understand the logic of that, but in many ways, pandemics are different than chemical and biological weapons attacks. And so I think what you're going to see is Biden separate them out again. So there's a difference between sort of bad actors and bad luck. And you can see science driving how to respond to bad luck.
0: Going back to this issue of, uh, well, thorny issue, I should say, of drug pricing. President Trump, he's talked about lowering drug prices. He's issued executive orders on this. I think most recently, he issued two new rules aimed at lowering prescription drug prices affecting Medicare beneficiaries. One of those was known as the most favoured nation rule, which would require Medicare to link the prices it pays for drugs to those paid by other developed countries. And the other rule limits rebates paid to pharmacy benefit managers by drug makers in Medicare. Bearing all this in mind, Peter, what impact, if any, will the US election result have on reforms to drug pricing in the US? and ultimately the uh, companies that make them?
1: You know, that's a good question. There's, there's a difference between what people intend to do, what they propose to do, and what actually gets done. We used to say that it's, it's a difference between what you want, what you really want, and you're, what you're willing to settle for. President Trump said a lot of stuff. A lot of it never went beyond press releases and tweets. I think President-elect Biden has made it clear how he hopes to tackle drug pricing in the US. He's put it in his campaign documents, he said it publicly. Recently, for example, I believe in Berlin, He said that he wanted to use external pricing measures, sort of a system similar to Germany's. We're going to look at what's going on globally. We're going to tack pricing to that. It's external reference pricing for Medicare Part D, for example, one way to get it under control. Another is allowing Medicare, which is part of the U.S. healthcare system, to negotiate drug prices. This is something that's been talked about for a while in Congress as part of the Affordable Care Act debate. President Trump has talked about it. I think President-elect Biden might push really hard to get it done. If Medicare is one of the largest, if not the largest, consumers of a product, pharmaceuticals, drugs, then it seems like they ought to be in a position to negotiate prices. If you go to the store and you buy a container of milk, they're going to sell it to you for whatever it costs. If you go in and you say, look, I live in an apartment building with 100 other families. We would like a deal if we promise to buy our milk here. The store is likely to say yes. Medicare is one huge apartment building full of people who buy drugs let's see if they can cut a deal let the market therefore drive down the prices that way there's potential who look at drug reimportation if the drugs meet health and safety standards right there's a risk of reimportation that you just don't know what you're getting in part because other countries may not have the rules that we have in the US or that you have in Europe part of it is there's a lot of counterfeiting you're just really not sure where stuff is coming from but if there are ways to make sure that it's safe and secure and is safe and effective, which is the FDA standards, then I think you might see President Biden moving in that direction as well.
0: I suppose a lot will depend on which party has controlled the U.S. Senate as well. I mean, you were talking earlier about President Trump putting forward ideas, but then none of them actually getting activated. As we know, unless the Democrats manage to get that control of the Senate, it's going to be difficult for them to get their measures passed into law. So I guess all eyes will be on the Georgia Senate runoffs in January.
1: Yeah, if you liked the U.S. presidential election, you're going to love the Georgia runoff. So we, there are two Senate races. Every state gets two senators, of course. Usually they're not elected at the same time because of flukes of who got appointed when and timing. Both Georgia senators were up for re-election this year. The system in Georgia is if no candidate gets more than 50% to the vote on election day, the top two vote getters go to a runoff and you do it again. And that happened in both cases. So you had two elections on election day in November. Nobody got more than 50% for having two more elections with just two candidates in January. That'll be madness. I've talked to some journalists who are both excited to cover the race and are frankly tired and just wanna go home and want this to be over with. If the Democrats manage to pull this off, it'll still be very, very close, right? The Democrats don't vote as a block. Republicans may vote as a block more than the Democrats, but it's not like, you know, you get 51 and switch is flicked and everything is magical and happy. There's still going to have to be negotiation. And I think there's a lot of common ground to be had. I think one of the things that President Biden will do is just turn down the volume. If you work quietly and say, hey, can we just kind of get this done? And then we can all sort of claim victory and go home. I think you'll see some of that. But I think the Republicans may be more willing to work with a President Biden. If he doesn't overreach, this is not gonna be another Affordable Care Act, which was a huge piece of legislation that I was a very small part of. It's gonna be much more, hey, how can we actually drive drug prices down? A market solution is allowing Medicare to negotiate. Hey, if we're gonna have reimportation, which has bipartisan support, how do we do it in a way that's safe? So can we get that done? So there's a lot of legislative levers there. There are also appointments, just who's in charge of the agencies at Health and Human Services, which is the big health agency in the US. There are a fair number of political appointees. So Biden and Harris will bring in some of their top people. But at other agencies, it's much smaller. For example, the US Food and Drug Administration, when I was over there, there there's something like 22,000 employees doctors, scientists, lawyers, inspectors, all of that. I think five of us were political appointees. The commissioner, couple of comms people and then me and somebody else that the White House created positions for at the request of the commissioner. Otherwise, it's career scientists doing the work, people like Dr. Janet Woodcock. And I think they're gonna be allowed to do their job. And in that capacity, they can get a lot done that doesn't require Congress.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to say that, Pete. Obviously, the FDA has come under a bit of scrutiny over the last four years for alleged politicization. Do you think that that's going to change, that the reputation of the agency is going to change under the new administration?
1: I do. I do. The FDA is full of really smart, dedicated public servants. It's astonishing how many people there have medical degrees and law degrees or PhDs and master's in public health. Just incredible people and left to do their jobs. They do an amazing job on behalf of the American people and that we don't notice, right? If somebody gets a a salad at a fast food joint and gets sick because of some illness on the lettuce, everybody calls the FDA and wants to know what the heck is going on. Somebody has a headache and takes some ibuprofen, the headache goes away. Nobody calls the FDA to say, thank you. (laughs) It's amazing how much the FDA does to help us. And President Trump's first commissioner of the FDA, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, Was fantastic. He was at the FDA before the Obama administration went out to a think tank, came back, well respected, well regarded within the FDA, huge amount of bipartisan uh, respect and support. And he left for good reasons. Nobody chased him out or anything. But then it kind of became marbles rolling around a tin can, it felt like. So now I think we're going to see science be science. Again, if you look at President elect Biden's COVID team, You'll just see really smart people, many of whom have prior political experience in partisan places or who have friends in partisan politics, but they leave that partisanship at the door when they look at the data. You see this in President-elect Biden's national security and foreign policy teams. These are just well-respected, smart people who President-elect Biden trusts, which is another thing that I think to bear in mind in all of this. President-elect Biden, again, knows lots and lots of people. He has lots of relationships, and he puts a high value on trust and loyalty. He's surrounding himself with people he knows who will tell him the truth, who aren't afraid to speak up, and who just want to put their nose down and get the job done. He's not surrounding himself with sycophants. He's not surrounding himself with, with empty flatterers. And he's certainly not surrounding himself with people who don't have experience in the task at hand.
0: And finally, Peter, this is an issue which is very big in the um, pharma supply chain world. Much has been made of the uh, coronavirus pandemic exposing certain weaknesses in pharmaceutical supply chains, the drug shortages, certain export bans of medicines, border closures, etc., Certain quarters of the industry and indeed US politicians that they've seized on this, they've made it clear that they see one solution to this being the reshoring of pharmaceutical production back to the US, with the aim of reducing the industry's reliance on manufacturing from countries such as China and India. The argument is it's a mere diversification of the supply chain, but critics say, it, again, a largely politically motivated move. What do you think President-elect Biden's tenure will mean for this debate?
1: You know, that's a good question. And any move you don't like, you can call political, and any move you do like, you can call it based on the science. In his campaign documents and on the stump, President-elect Biden made it clear that he wanted to shore up U.S. supply chains. Part of that means the pharmaceutical industry. Part of that means making sure that we have the manufacturing capacity in the U.S. to develop and deliver the necessary drugs, but not just in the pharmaceutical industry, across a range of industries, right? In order to be good global partners and good global citizens, which President-elect Biden is. Absolutely committed to. You have to be strong at home. As you said, you have to be able to be resilient. We can't do it on our own. No country can do everything on their own. But we have to be able to do enough on our own so that a glitch in one country or one part of the supply chain doesn't disrupt anything. Right? Again, I'm going to go back to the soccer analogy because I'm just a huge fan, and it's my go-to. Liverpool is managing to get by without, arguably the best central defender in the world. As an Arsenal fan, it is a pleasure to watch Virgil van Dijk just because he is so gifted. Liverpool is adjusting without him. We need to be able to do the same. You get the best internally, you build the best system you can. You rely on a system, a global system, to make that work. You've also got to be resilient enough as a team, or as a country in this case, to do it if a piece of that slips or falters. It's not nationalization. It's really developing resilience so that we can be better partners in a global community and also ensure the, the health and safety of the American people.
0: Peter, thank you very much indeed for sharing your insights with us today.
1: Many thanks for having me.
0: That's it for this month's edition of the CPHI podcast, addressing the major issues impacting pharmaceutical supply chains. Thanks for listening. We look forward to joining you again next month.